everybody episode three daniel today's guest is so amazing i don't know how you pulled it off but i will leave it to you to tell our, our, our friends out there exactly what amazing person we have with us today yeah shannon lee um awesome human being in her own right and uh, famous for being bruce lee's daughter which is quite amazing in itself but beside that you know shannon is really just a cool person to chat with i had a great time and Man, you guys are in for a treat. This is going to be a fun discussion. It's going to be different from our first guest. You know, you know none of the most disgusting stories on earth about sex toys. None of that. Thankfully. Um, Duncan was fun and old, but still. And uh, we actually have a polite discussion. I did manage to cast at the very end of it. I was almost going for the entire thing without casting, so it was that polite. But, of course, I couldn't pull it off. <laughs> But um, no, it was great, and I hope you guys enjoy it because we had a blast. Now, a couple of things I want to mention um, before we get rolling with the chat with Shannon. Um, first off, thank you guys listening. You have no idea. I mean, we're really kind of humbled and blown away by what we have seen after releasing the first one in 10 days, we had over 10,000 downloads, which is blowing our mind because we can't figure out where the hell you guys are coming from. It's We've like, been happy with 53, I think. Yeah, basically. It's like, and it's growing every day. We're getting a ton of messages left and right. So thank you, thank you, thank you for um, for tuning in. And I uh, hope you guys liked it and um, you stick around for more. Oh, by the way, speaking of messages and stuff, any if you guys want to shoot me an email at any point... My personal email is uh, bodhi1974 at yahoo.com. Again, is B as in beer, um, O as in Ohio, D as in Delaware, H as in Hawaii, I as in Iowa, 1974 at yahoo.com. If you email me, I'll always reply within 24 hours, as Evan found out. If you like, don't reply within 24 hours, it's because the internet is playing evil tricks and I did not receive it. So that's one thing. Um, other things, um, we love the 10,000 downloads and, and counting. We also would love to figure out a way in which a few cents can go into our bank accounts because we are no food and crying here. So please feed us. A um, few ways to help us out if you are in the mood for it. You don't Clearly, you don't have to. You know, that's the beauty of podcasts. It's free, and we're just thankful that you're listening. But... If you are in a given mood and you have an extra dollar, there's a donate button on the um, website for the podcast. Um, it's thedrunkentaoist.com. There's a donate button through PayPal. Another thing you can do, there's an Amazon link. 
either through my personal website, danielabodale.com, or still on The Drunken Taoist. Um, anything you buy on Amazon will get credited for. So once you click and the Amazon page opens up, I've seen, of course, for privacy reasons, I don't see who buys what, but I do see what gets bought, and people get some of the shopping that's really interesting. My favorite of all was somebody who brought the, bought the long, smooth, pink, uh, very wholesome vibrator, which whoever you are, I'm hoping is giving you plenty of orgasms out there. But <laughs> the yeah, I mean, for anything, you know, it's like you don't have to, you're not giving as money per se. You're doing your shopping that you would do anyway. And when you go on Amazon, just if you can click our link first, it helps us a bunch. So that's much appreciated. Other things I want to mention, um, we don't really have a sponsor yet per se, but we do have, there's a friend of us uh, who owns uh, this company called Datsusara. It's uh, hemp gear, uh, specifically bags, backpacks, and things like that. They're awesome. We are giving them out to guests. Oh, damn, we forgot to give it out to Shannon Lee. Shannon, I'm sorry. We had a bag for you. I, I'm an awful human being, and I forgot. But, uh, okay, let me rephrase that then. We try to give them out to guests when we actually are not the um, drunken Taoist, when we are the organized Taoist. We remember to do it, but that's not happening today. So sorry, I haven't Shannon. yet, I'm afraid. We have a bag for you somewhere. And uh, But in any case, if you guys want to check it out, on the drunken Taoist website, there's a link to um, Datsasara. So if you guys want to check any of the bags, they're awesome. I love them. So please feel free. And last but not least, one more thing I wanted to mention. A few people have asked about the the logo that we have for the Drunken Taoist, which features, it's interesting, it features this guy making out with a lovely woman who doesn't seem to have much patience for clothing and is at the same time, while pouring wine of both of them, is kicking in the balls of some big evil dude coming their way, which... I particularly love that concept. In any case, uh, thank you a million to um, Jamie Ludovisi who designed this, uh, who um, did the artwork. Um, she has her website. We, we linked it on uh, thedrunkentowers.com. And uh, thank you, Savannah, who's here in studio, who helped us play with the font with it. And uh, we are probably going to be making T-shirts um, at some point down the road. So keep your ears open in case you want such scenes stamped on your chest or let us know if you do because interest breeds printing yeah precisely so we are probably gonna do that but we'll let you know guys in a little bit and um anything else rich i think you covered it all you know remember to send your questions to oh yeah daniel at the drunken com. yeah random things you're curious about maybe we can figure out a way to bring them in within the conversation and uh, again, thank you, thank you, thank you a million guys for tuning in, listening to us. Um, deeply, deeply appreciate it. And now for an awesome interview. Yep. Here we go. See you on the other side, guys.
Okay, guys, so jumping into the heart of things today. Um, today we have in studio Shannon Lee, and Shannon, I got to meet Shannon um, a few months back at the premiere of I Am Bruce Lee, um, documentary by Pete McCormick. Pete, by the way, we love you, you're cool. <laughs> I mention it because last time I forgot to mention him on a website or something, he hated me for weeks, so I'm like, <laughs> Pete, you're a good human being, I bow to you. We love Pete, yes, Pete is great. Absolutely. Um, when uh, at the premiere, I remember you were on stage giving the speech and everything. And I remember the impression that it left on me because right after, I mean, this was, you know, big premiere. There are some top famous Hollywood names around and all of that stuff. Shannon comes down from stage and she goes to chat with people. She come up to me, which is like, what the hell am I compared, you know, and like, and she come talk to me. So that right in itself, I thought very very cool human being right right there there were a few people that I had interactions with that I thought hmm okay not a different Hollywood vibe so that itself uh, impressed me then I later asked Shannon to uh, for a blurb regarding a book that I have coming out and not only she did a wonderful job she did it she also sent me back a long email about um, how some of these ideas apply to their own life. So she actually read it. That was sweet. <laughs> and, uh, so long story short is I'm a fan. Shannon is a wonderful human. Just from vibe, just from chatting with her a little bit, I can tell this is somebody that I badly wanted to have here in studio to chat with, not only because of her family legacy and everything else, but in her own right, Shannon seems just somebody who has it, who gets it. So thank you so much for being here with us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm very honored and humbled by your in, your introduction. <laughs> <laughs> cool. One thing I wanted to ask, speaking of family legacy, is you could you could do anything in the world. You could be curing cancer tomorrow. You could ju- just drop by and tell Israelis and Palestinians, you guys need to make peace, and they all <laughs> listen to you, and you solve and people would still be, oh, yeah, you're Bruce Lee's daughter, right? <laughs> so it's like, in yes. a way, it's like whatever you do, that's going to be the first thing in most people's mind. Clearly, I mean, that can be a blessing and a curse because mm-hmm. obviously it can be, it's flattering on one level to have all that attention. On the, In another sense, you are, you're always the ambassador. You're always playing mm-hmm. this role as, how did that play out for you uh, growing up now uh, how does uh, you're obviously comfortable in the role now because you know you're doing the <laughs> yeah. Bruce Lee Foundation and everything mm-hmm. how has that evolved over time it's interesting it's something that I'm always in a constant state of relationship with because mm-hmm. you know it, and it continues to even though I'm much more comfortable with it now it is still something that I continually evolve my perspective on um, as a kid it's interesting. As a kid, you know, my mom's mantra was always, don't tell people that you're Bruce Lee's kid. Mm-hmm. Just have people know you for who you are and accept you for who you are, which was great advice. Right. I, I count my friendships from my childhood as being very genuine friendships, which I have um, to thank for that piece of advice for sure. At the same time, it, it kind of made me feel like there was something wrong mm. <laughs> with with Let's telling people right. that, yeah. that, that I had to hide something. And so for a really long time, um, I, in a way, I, I kind of didn't own it, and I didn't know where the balance was between 
you know, what might be considered boasting and what might be just being authentic in terms right. of who I was and and giving, imparting that information, you know, right. <laughs> to of someone because it's always a weird moment in a way. Um, and so and so in my childhood, it was sort of like that. Um, I knew that my father, especially as a kid, you know, I mean, I knew my father was famous. He'd been in movies and when, when people would say, oh, Bruce Lee, oh, wow, that's, you know, there right. was a reaction. But I guess I didn't really understand him that much, his impact, his influence until I was much older. Right. In part because I, I don't think, I mean, first of all, as a kid, you're you're not really pontificating on those types of things. Sure. <laughs> and you don't have much world experience. Right. So, um, and you don't really have the tools to read some of the writings and and have any idea of what they could possibly mean. So um, it took some time for me to have some life experience and things like that to really start to grasp a little bit more firmly. And then I did at some point feel like, you know, even now today, if I meet somebody, I don't lead with, hey, I'm Bruce Lee's daughter. (laughs) (laughs) You don't? She's lying, by the way. When she walked into the studio, that's the first thing she said to everybody. I mean, you know who I am, right? right. Everybody, everybody. Um, but, um, but if it comes up in conversation, you know, right. people ask me, so what is it that you do? I'll start by saying, you know, oh, I run a licensing business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you license? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> the Bruce Lee name and likeness. Oh, how'd you get into that? Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> <laughs> right. And then you drop the bomb and people's eyes go like, yeah. right, of course. Um, but so, you know, but there have definitely been different times where I've been in different places with it in my life. When I was acting mm-hmm. in my 20s, it was challenging because right. there was definitely a certain expectation. Um, when I did my first Hong Kong, first and only Hong mm-hmm. Kong movie um, at it was this big action film, and I had I had done some action, and I had been studying martial arts at that point, but I'd never done one of these major sure, crazy action films. And I remember at one point the director saying to me, um, "Just do it like your dad would do it." Yes, of course. If I could do that, do you think that I'd be where I am at this moment in time? <laughs> um, So things like that, um, expectation that I, you know, I'm a huge ass kicker, that I'm in, you know, crazy athletic shape at any given given moment of my life or day, things like that. Um, I remember, too, at one point I was doing – going to a lot of premieres. You Mm -hmm. know, that was like sort of the thing. You'd walk the red carpet, people take your picture, and hopefully get your name out there, right? And I was at a premiere of a movie that Rita Wilson was in and Tom Hanks was there. And my publicist, um, who's a lovely lady and was just doing her job, had been with me all night. And the first thing she would say to everybody is, this is Shannon Lee. She's Bruce Lee's daughter. The first sentence out of her mouth all night long. And so we came up to Tom Hanks and... um, it was a really a great moment. I'm I'm sure he doesn't even remember meeting me. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was really a great moment because it 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 told me two things. Um, it showed me what a great actor uh-huh. he was. Number one, because he read me like this, and uh, my publicist said, "This is Shannon Lee. She's Bruce Lee's daughter." And he said, "Oh," and I immediately sort of rolled my eyes, mm-hmm. like. Oh. Not another one, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and he immediately was like, 
he said, oh, it's great to meet you. And he saw me roll my eyes. He's like, and I mean, it's great to meet you for you. (laughs) I was like, God, I'm such an asshole right now, you know? like. (laughs) So first it told me something about him, and then it told me something about me. Right. And and what it told me about me was um, this this is not really a burden. Uh-huh. It's really a blessing. Right. And that I and I need to just own that. So it's not John Lee Gacy's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> right. It so could be a hair worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So stop I walking can, around yeah. like this is a huge torturous thing for you because right. it's really not. Well, that's awesome that you got to the place in your life where you can, because it is something that people it can people can take it both ways. You yeah. know, somebody in your position could feel this is the best thing in the universe. They could feel, go on a trip about it. people don't relate to me for me. I'm always speaking in somebody else's voice, all of that. And I mean, they are both true. So it yeah. really is a matter sure. of which one you want to emphasize. And the fact that you came to a place where you got the um, more pleasant side of the deal good for you. <laughs> you know, that's how cool. Well, it's got to be the craziest case scenario as well. Anyway, I mean, there was nobody more famous in 1976 than Bruce Lee. Right. It exploded in this country. <laughs> I remember all my friends, everybody, you know, yeah, knocking their teeth out in their backyard doing silly things. <laughs> but it was, I mean, I can't think of a star of that's on that level. You know, you, he's, the, he's the Che Guevara of, of movie stars. You know, just nobody more famous as a revolutionary. Nobody more famous... I mean, still today, you throw Even the name today. Bruce Lee, everybody Which knows what you're talking you guys, about, I'm of sorry, course. Yeah. 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 That yeah. had to be hard to handle. I have to say, you seem to come out quite nicely. <laughs> because you. if there's one thing you learn in this town, because you know, what we do here is premiere right. coverage, fame usually leads to worse things for the next generation. Yeah. Well... The kids don't end up well. Right. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I mean, we have the, we've had this argument sometimes at work, <laughs> but I wouldn't call myself famous. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I've done some things in the public eye, but I'm not a person who walks around and, that it, and enjoys instant celebrity. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows who I, I mean, every now and again, does somebody sure. come up to me and say, oh my, are you Shannon Lee? Right. Yes. But um, for the most part, um, I've come to really enjoy that. You know, there was a point in time when, of course, everybody at some point in their life wants to be right. famous. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that, though, right. for, for whatever reason, yeah. you know, you think that that would be really great. Looks and, cool on TV. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and um, and um, so at one point in time, I certainly wanted some sort of like, well, hey, how come, you know, I want people to know who I am and, da, 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 and then the whole struggle about, well, you know, what do I want them to know me for right. and um, all of that. But. I, it's actually been wonderful. It's been perfect because I have such a normal, everyday, anonymous life. And every once in a while, because I'm Bruce Lee's daughter, I get the opportunity to step in the spotlight a little right. bit, enjoy a little bit of that, you know, shine. That's awesome. You get to do it when you want without yeah. being forced into it. <laughs> and before, how, is it for your, how is it for your daughter? Um, it's funny. You know, she's nine and um, about to be 10 soon. And... Um, she knows that Bruce Lee is um, somebody of note, and she likes that. Uh, she doesn't really understand it, I don't think. I've seen her do things like um, I was at her school volunteering, and, and she was hanging around me, and um, she walked up to some other gr- parent who was mm-hmm. in the kitchen doing something at the school, 
and said, um, do you know who Bruce Lee is? And I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's nine. Got her son's luck. No, I think she's more like seven at that time. But, yeah, <laughs> but I was like, on. ooh. And then that gets to be tricky, too, because, you know, no matter what you say to your kids, they form their own opinion about it anyway. And so it's like, what do I say? Do I say, like, you shouldn't lead with that? Right. You know? <laughs> or, and why am I saying that to her? And right. Like, oh, like, I don't know. So yeah, yeah, I just yeah. sort of let it be. But Yeah. Um, that's sad. She and enjoys I think it. that's a good policy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can have more esoteric conversations right. about it later. <laughs> In high school, that could be useful, too, you know? Yeah. The big girls start causing trouble. You know who my granddaddy is. <laughs> I think twice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, that's. Uh, I, I would say. It, I mean, growing up clearly in the spotlight because of that, you know, having such a famous father, and at the same time not having him physically and not having that experience mm-hmm. because of, of course, growing up only with your mom and all of that. How was that like in terms of losing somebody who's so central to your life, but losing them when you're so young? Mm-hmm. How did that? I mean, partially, this is totally personal. I'm kind of asking because um, my daughter lost her mom when she was 19 months old. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of trying to figure out how does that shape people? You know, yeah. how, what are the challenges? What are the, you know, any useful advice I'm gladly <laughs> take? So I'm curious sure. to pick your brain about that. Um, it's definitely something that is always a question mark in mm-hmm. my mind and in my life and, and always will be to a certain extent because, you know, I don't have the ability to know the answer. Right. But um, but I would say, you know, I don't – I'm sure – it definitely had an effect on me as mm-hmm. a kid. Um, I think it was more about the way it was handled by the people around me mm-hmm. more so than my own self, you know. Right. I mean, everybody sort of goes through their own grief in their own way, whether they realize it or not. Right. And um, – um, I don't have a whole lot of memory of being really sad, right. you know, although I would say that my childhood was marked by a certain amount of sadness, but I think it was because I think my mom was really sad. Of course, of course. <laughs> right. you know, so you're getting it more on a daily basis that way, right? Right, than, right. Yeah, we got you. So, um, and I think that the thing that is um, that is important to me, and 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 I think maybe is would be important, is just to um, keep that memory alive mm-hmm. for your kid. You know, I mean, I tell my daughter about um, her grandfather and about her uncle right. as much of as course. I can, and she loves to hear those stories. Just lo- and asks for them all the time. I'm, right. I'm running out, in fact. <laughs> repeating <laughs> myself. Up. Make them up. Legend yeah. is always cool. <laughs> yeah. And um, and so I think that just, you know, just being with it, you know, and keeping it alive in that way is, right. is what I have appreciated and, and sometimes, you know, been wanted more of, right. to be honest. You of know? course. So. No, that's cool. That's yeah. What are you up to these days? What are you working on? <laughs> Too much, um, and not enough all at the same time. Um, I run very Bruce... Taoist of you, by the way. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> combination of <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I I run Bruce Lee Enterprises, uh-huh. so, uh, which is a licensing company, um, and you know, 
I kind of stepped in. That all that all came about. You know, obviously my mom had been looking after my my um, dad's legacy, as it were, and um, it had been um, turned over. The merchandising of it had been turned over to Universal Studios when they got the rights to make Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Mm-hmm. And um, as a studio, you know, they weren't really equipped to handle an individual's legacy. Right especially one that kind of went on and on. And every six months it'd be somebody new and you'd have to try and re-educate them all over again. Anyway, and in the end of 2000, she asked me if I had any interest, and, and I did. And so I um, I had started to sort of hang up my acting mm-hmm. uh, and decided to um, step in and see what I could do there. And it took a while, but we were able to get those rights back from mm-hmm. Universal in 2008, and that's when I opened Bruce Lee Enterprises to try and start doing it on our own. And it's been, you know, an interesting journey. I'm not a, a business person, right. but I am now. Not <laughs> <laughs> when you started, right? I was a music major in right. college <laughs> and, um, and an actress right. of not much note. So, <laughs> um, but, um, so I, um, but you know, I, I am I I know what I don't know. So, right. in a way, that's that's really good, and and I have no problem asking people, you know, for advice, and um, and I have a certain amount of instincts when it comes to uh, my father and his legacy and my own self. So, you know, I just try to to, to do the best I can and surround myself with good people to do it. But at the same time, um, we launched Leeway Media, which was our production company, mm-hmm. which is how we did the documentary. The documentary, right. So, um, um, and because I just felt like those things go hand in hand, I wanted to put him in front of today's eyes in some mm-hmm. way in the media. And so I have a lot of projects that I'm working on in that regard. And then um, I also founded the Bruce Lee Foundation, which is a nonprofit um, public charity uh, that also perpetuates his legacy and preserves it, um, but primarily through educational mm-hmm. means. Um, we do seminars in Jeet Kune Do. We uh, do educational outreach. We have a scholarship program, and I'm currently trying to build a museum in um, the Seattle area. Right. And I, I, I'm struggling so much with calling it a museum, too, because it seems like such a stale mm-hmm. sort of thing, and I All don't right. want it to be that. Yeah. <laughs> we can come up with cool names. Oh, yeah, I know. The Bruce Lee like... Interactive Experience. <laughs> <laughs> you can go get your ass beat by a hologram. It would be awesome. Right. So, um, um, and then, you know, above and beyond that, I have my own interests in writing and and. Mm-hmm and uh, taking advantage of performance opportunities and things like that. But it all serves, for me, it all serves um, a, a creative desire, you know, whether it's trying to create a business and right. how to make that thrive or whether it's something else. So That's awesome. I remember I saw not too long ago you were in D.C. for a congressional resolution yes. honoring your father. You want to tell us a second about that? Sure. It was really um Great. I had, uh, you know, it's funny the way the world works. Um, when I am Bruce Lee is actually uh, responsible for this. Oh. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So um, when I am Bruce Lee aired, a friend of mine, who's a lobbyist and who works in um, D.C. and who mm-hmm. I hadn't seen, in, a college friend I hadn't seen in years, um, saw the documentary. Mm-hmm. 
and I guess he'd always been a Bruce Lee fan, although I didn't really know that. <laughs> and um, and uh, you figure if if he was to tell anybody, you'd probably be the right person to <laughs> share that with. But he didn't think until then. Okay. Interesting. I mean, he may, have, he may have said it at some point in time, right. but I guess I didn't realize. <laughs> Funny. So um, he is my friend on Facebook. Nice. And <laughs> you know, but not anyone I was really keeping close in touch with. Right. And he um, wrote to me and he said, I just saw the documentary. It's so amazing. It just reawoke in me, you know, what a fan I was. But then also it, it brought on this whole new level of understanding mm-hmm. and depth of his legacy and who he was as a person. And, you know, I have all these relationships in D.C. and, and I would really love to do some help mm-hmm. you to do something. You know, what are you working on? What can I do? And we kind of messaged back and forth and brainstormed back and forth and it was actually his idea um, to do a congressional resolution mm-hmm. <clears throat> because, of course, I had no idea. I mean, right. congressional resolution, I don't even know what that was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In fact, I so. said it, but I'm like, yeah. <laughs> please fill in because I have no idea what I'm saying. So. Well, and it's funny because people ask me, well, what is it? And it sounds, um, I mean, you know. What is it? It's a piece of paper, right. basically. <laughs> <laughs> saying, I'm familiar with those. Yeah, so saying Bruce good. Lee's cool right. and we should all think that he's cool and, and all that. But, you know, it, it's meaningful to me to have it come from the, the government of right. the United States. Right. And um, so we started on this process of, of pursuing that and just recently saw that through. That's so, cool. That's yeah. awesome. Nice, nice, yeah. nice. <laughs> well, speaking of I am Bruce Lee... Um, I'm, you know, there have been like six gazillion documentaries about Bruce Lee. So, of course, I, I remember you mentioned it at the premiere, too. Like, when you were approached about doing another one, you were like, come on. It's like, really? Another <laughs> Bruce Lee's documentary? Yeah. What made you change your mind about that? What did you think of the final product? And again, Pete, we love you and yes. we bow to you when you're an awesome human being. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, Pete I will Mac- start... Sorry, Pete McCormick, by the way, is the <laughs> director of I Am Bruce Lee, who <laughs> watches on us all. And we pray to him at night in our <laughs> altars next to our beds. You know, I would say that the thing that really um, made me decide to want to do it was seeing some of... Pete McCormick, Pete McCormick, Pete McCormick. <laughs> um, previous work. Right. <laughs> I, um, uh, you know, because they said, oh, they came to me, they approached me, and they said, we want to do a documentary, and we really want to delve in and talk about his life. Right. And it's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All the documentaries want to do that, but yeah. do they really do that? Right. And um, so I um, said, well, what's your point of view? What is it that you want to do? And and we talked about it, and it was interesting. I had just helped executive produce a documentary in 2008 mm-hmm. called How Bruce Lee Changed the World. Yeah, I saw that one. And it had a little bit of a similarity mm-hmm. in in theme in that, right. you know, they wanted to talk about his influence mm-hmm. on different people and in different genres. And I... Um, and so I was like, well, you know, we kind of just did this. Right. <laughs> Again. <it's> like <laughs> and not that long ago. So it's like the sci-fi movies <laughs> where you wake up and live the same day again and exactly. again. Exactly. It's Groundhog Day. Right. Um, but um, I, when I saw Facing Ali, um, which was his right. previous documentary, um, I was sold because 
I just thought that there was really a journey that took place mm-hmm. in the film, and the and it was emotionally poignant, and it was it really focused on things that I thought were so interesting, and um, I really hoped that he would be able to do that again right. with with this, and and I think the film is actually a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think it's the best documentary out there. Not that I've seen them all because I don't right. want there to I see them all. Of course. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't. I don't see that as part of my job. Yeah. <laughs> having to watch every horrible thing out there. Um, <laughs> but, um, um, but I really think that the film is great. I'm really right. pleased with it. Um, I think that it. Um, looks more like a film than a documentary. Mm-hmm. It has a beautiful artistic cohesion yep. to it throughout. And I think that it uh, it's funny, it's poignant, it does go on an emotional journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the end, you're sort of, you know, dumbstruck by it, I, I felt anyway. I felt like a lot of people felt like there was a lot of information they had not mm-hmm. previously known, that it did uncover a very personal right. side and, uh, and did get to s- the depth of some of who he was. So I really thought it was great. Thank you, Pete McCormick. <laughs> <laughs> no, we make fun of Pete, but seriously, the guy is brilliant beyond belief. Well, it's yeah. an incredible and, uh, and eclectic blend of, of people yeah. influenced by your father that was really yeah. kind of the heart of the movie. Like, and, yeah. and Kobe Bryant, too? Right. And, you know, just like, <laughs> really well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. was well done. Yeah. When is it coming out on DVD? I, it's um, already been released, I believe, in Canada and the UK, and it's coming out in January. January. In, okay, for cool. the US. Yeah. So if you guys want to check it out, you haven't seen it. It was run on Spike TV multiple times. If you haven't checked it, you want the DVD. January, perfect. And, and order it through Amazon. Yes, through our <laughs> link. We need money. <laughs> so, how did you ever get to be in that movie? Yeah, that's that's a funny one. Yeah, because by the way, there are of course there's all this good stuff about the movie, but really the heart and soul of the movie. There are good 48 seconds of Daniele Bolelli talking, who make people cry when they see it, and they all say, "I finally saw the light. This is it." They're so. writing all the words down. Yeah, the way, the way it happened was actually funny. I was in Wales for a long, complicated story, but in any case, I was in Wales, and um, I find out that this university where I had to um, chat with some people, there was this guy, uh, Paul Bowman, who had written a book, all uh, monography about Bruce Lee, and... uh, I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's really interesting. And I open the book and I find that, like, there's, I forget if it's one or two chapters where Paul just kicks my ass, where he picks on some stuff that I wrote and he's like, yeah, but I disagree about this and this and this and this and this and this. I was like, well, okay. I mean, I kind of see his point. Not quite, but whatever. You know, he makes some interesting. So I'm like, he's right here. Well, let's go meet the guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I show up at his office door and he's like, talking to his students and they leave and stuff and so I'm like he looks at me puzzled and I'm like hello Daniele Bolelli and I could see in his mind oh shit <laughs> why is this guy in Wales he read this stuff I've watched too many mafia movies not to know what's coming it's this guy came here to just put a bullet in my and I was super polite and nice and the nicer I was the more you know, there's that scene from The Godfather where there's the guy who walks into the um, after... Um, we, no, that's the Robert De Niro part, yeah, when he walks in and he's like, oh, the old lady who you want to get back into the... I'll get her back. I'll, I'll reduce her rent by a little bit. 
he doesn't say anything. He just <laughs> looks at him and says, okay, but a little more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm totally making fun. It was actually a much different conversation, but the legend <laughs> is cooler than reality. But in any case, after a while, we actually hit it off and we got along. And Paul is a really nice guy and everything. And so um, I did not put a bullet in his head as I was planning to, but... <laughs> So when uh, he was asked to be on the I Am Bruce Lee because he had written this monograph, then when he had, uh, they had asked him, or oh, do you know anybody else who could throw the more philosophical angle? And he's like, Bolelli, immediately, Bolelli, please yeah. get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I got this call, and I'm like, do you want to record tomorrow morning? I'm like, sure, what the hell, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the story I'll tell, at least. It's slightly improved, but... <laughs> Wow. So that was fun. But, yeah. And then that's where I, because I, I'd never met Pete before, and mm. that's where I met him, and we started getting along really well, and now we're working on some projects together, oh, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So so it was mm. awesome. I was really happy to be, to get to play with it. Okay. And of course, Pete being Pete, you know, he interviewed me for like two hours, and of course, at the end, you, you get to use only 30 seconds or something. Right. And he picked in the 30 seconds the one part where I compare Bruce Lee to a raised middle finger toward authority and they're like really out of two hours of six I say we are in the middle finger like, yes middle finger it is I'm like great no that but, was great I loved uh, that line I also liked it when you said uh, anytime anyone's dogmas are challenged they mm -hmm. don't take too kindly to that no that's <laughs> safe to say right yeah. <laughs> oh speaking of quotes from i am bruce lee there was a i think it was a diana inosanto quote that was hilarious when uh, she mentioned um how bruce lee put balls on chinese men and everybody yeah. in the theater is kind of cracking up because the way she say it but right. at the same time the point she's making about kind of this uh, element of uh, masculinity mm -hmm. that get to be really redefined compared to perception of asians in general asian american in specific that existed in the u.s before how do you think how do you think your dad's example help change that well, I think uh, I think he definitely changed that um, because you know I mean certainly at that time and 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 even um, even somewhat to this day I think that there's really a sense that Asians are very you know um, I mean the whole like they're musicians or they're scientists or they're whatever right. <laughs> you know aside um, brilliant nerds right yes That's brilliant nerds yeah <laughs> and that they're somewhat androgynous you know and uh, and in appearance and all that kind of stuff is um, that he just sort of said no you know I mean anybody can be powerful anybody can be um, you know any man I guess can be masculine right. I guess women can be masculine too but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's not usually considered a good thing um <laughs> Um, you know, and um, and and that he really did help to change mm -hmm. that perception, especially the perception in the media, you know, um, of of Asians as you know owning the laundry or right. you know moving the abacus back and forth, um, uh, um, of someone who was dynamic and right. deadly and powerful and graceful and in such great shape, and all of those things really did help to. Um, lift up the perception of the culture. I wonder how many Asian boys from the 1970s, 1980s, and probably even to this day, can thank Bruce Lee from here to forever because 
when bullies were thinking, hmm, but never, <laughs> oh wait, I just watched the Bruce Lee. No, let's pick the right. other guy. Yeah. He missed somebody he else. He might know martial yeah. arts. Asia, he it. knows Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, of course. Because, of course, all Asians do. Of course, that's <laughs> how it works. That's the beauty of stereotype, isn't it? Like when you show something that defies stereotype, it's not that people move beyond stereotype, it's right. we'll just recycle it as a new stereotype. Right, they adopt right? it into the stereotype. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> Everybody knows the violin cases have nunchucks. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 Well, switching to jumping in some of the philosophical ideas that characterize um, your dad's movies, writings, legacy, and so on. One thing that uh, there are a bunch of things that I want to touch on, but one that, as a starting point, I saw um, in one of the movies. I remember there's this scene where there's this nationalistic element that comes in, where there's um, another Chinese guy who's uh, watching some people practicing karate, and he's saying, oh, I would never train in that. That's not Chinese. I only care for Kung Fu. And uh, your dad replies in the movie, basically, oh, come on, anything that's useful, take it, regardless of where it's coming from, which is very different from the typical uh, nationalistic message of, there's only our heritage, there's only the place where it comes from, sacred China, or anywhere else for that matter. It's the same mentality all over the world. And I thought in itself that was interesting, this idea of freeing the individual from belonging, from, uh, and not that belonging is always a bad thing, but like mm -hmm. the prison that sometimes go with, uh, this is our culture, and all you can get is within these limits. If you like a food that's from something else, or if you like a martial art that's from bad, 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 this is how we do think, you mm -hmm. know? And I thought there was this really interesting case where in Bosnia, post, uh, after all the war in the former Yugoslavia and genocide and everything nasty that happened, when, uh, you know, they're basically rebuilding from the ground up after this brutal series of wars. And uh, I think it was in Mostar, yeah, mm -hmm. in the worn, torn city, really messed up by the war. One of the first statues they built was to Bruce Lee. Yeah. And part of it was, this is something we all have in common, whether it is the guy Muslims, the Catholics, the whether they are Bosnians, whether they are from wherever the hell they're from, they felt like Bruce Lee as a symbol was a unifying factor transcending nationalism, which was precisely what got him into trouble and got them killing each other for uh, several years. Right. And so the idea of Bruce Lee as a symbol of a way of the world beyond blind nationalism, mm -hmm. I thought was intriguing. What was your take when you heard about the statue and all of that stuff? Yeah, it was really um, sort of surprising. Um, I guess not surprising when you when you boil it down, mm -hmm. you know, and when you look at my father's legacy and you look at you know who he was as a person and all that. But that 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 some that people you know on the other side of the world were embracing that and I don't really know how deeply they embrace mm -hmm. it. I don't know if they know much about his own life story or his philosophies beyond the movies. I really right. don't know. But I think the thing that's always interesting is that all of that somehow seems to come through mm -hmm. in the films. Yep. And um, and I, I always think it's because, you know, it came from exactly who he was and that he inserted that into these movies voice, and um, and that it's it, whether they just decided well everybody loves Bruce Lee there's no there's no argument about whether people like Bruce Lee and so that's why we're going to 
make a statue or whether it was more than that, right. it's still quite an amazing statement. You know, <laughs> for it's me, you know, really a, sitting in my house yeah. making macaroni and cheese for my daughter, I'm sort of like, you know, it's moments like that where right. you kind of go, wow, yeah. Yeah. that yeah. is something else. Because, yeah. I mean, these are people who really live through hell and yes. so such ugly thing. And the fact that really one of their first thoughts in post-war would be, yes. let's build a statue to Bruce Lee. That, yeah. that means something, you know. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, yeah, that's definitely. powerful. Yeah. It's very uh, powerful. Uh, it's probably more powerful than I can really grasp, you know. Right. I mean, I just sort of. It's a little bit mind-blowing. Yeah, big time. Yeah. And I mean, that's interesting in itself, what you say about the fact that people are clearly seizing and something that they see in him, whether they fully understand his legacy or not, whether they mm-hmm. fully understand. But there's something, even just from watching the movies, that mm-hmm. comes across from from him. Clearly, that's not the experience that most people have with the average movie star. You know, you see a movie star and, you know, they maybe they are cool at their action flick and they are good and whatever and people like them. But it's it's different with with your dad. There's this sense. Many people use the word out. It inspired them. You mm-hmm. know, again, something that normally you don't use for just the average actor or right. even a good actor. Uh, inspiring is not necessarily one of the first words that come to mind. Right. So with him, there's something beyond that catches people. What do you think is that something that separates him from, you know, many famous people who are on the screen, who enjoy the spotlight, all of that, but don't have that effect on on other people? Well, it's really interesting. You know, uh, I always say that it's because... um, I, I always put it this way. It's sort of a, you know, a cliche, but... He he didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. So Mm -hmm. he really lived um, all of these things. And in a way, you know, a lot of people are really lauded for being great actors Mm -hmm. in their films. And and while I think he did act well in his films, there there was more than that. Mm -hmm. He was really also putting himself in there. So he was taking those characters and he was really in a in a unique position to be able to do that, you know, because he, other than the first film, which he really didn't have much um, right. to do with, and and the Green Hornet and and whatnot before that, he was really even with the second film, even though he didn't write it or direct it, was starting little by little to start to put himself to take those scripts and demand that, you know, the dialogue be changed a little bit, right. that that th- this type of choreography take place to show X, Y, and Z. And so he was sort of in a, in a unique position that maybe a lot of people aren't actually in mm-hmm. today to be able to change the work and to let it represent them in an authentic way. And so... And so he's acting, and he's acting well in those performances, but he's also really putting himself yep. into them. And I think it's that, because, you know, even when you when you talk to my mom or someone interviews my mom, they always say, well, what was Bruce Lee like? And she always says, you know, he was really like what you see in the movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really <laughs> like that. But it that intense. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, I mean, he would sit down and get engaged in a philosophical conversation. He was powerful and dynamic and, you know, all of those things. And he was just always sort of ready, I think. You know, no matter where he was in life, he was ready physically. He was ready philosophically. He was engaged, you know. And, um, And so, I don't know, I think it's just that. It's that authenticity. It's that there's something real there. Yeah, let me ask you that. How is it... 
I know exactly what you're talking about, <laughs> so it doesn't seem like a strange thing to me, but I can't quite put it into words. Yeah. Like, what do you think it is that makes some people, quote unquote, more authentic than others, more real than others? Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's on the tip of my, it's like, oh, I yeah. see it, but <laughs> how the hell do I explain? Like, what do you think? Um, You know, I think it has to do somewhat I don't know the answer. Let me start by saying that. <laughs> That's always good. <laughs> Let me start by saying that. I don't know. Right. But um, I think it has something to do with somebody's um, – there's a certain uh, centeredness that a person has. I mean, I see it like I love – like Meryl Streep's an amazing mm-hmm. actress, but I love watching her be her mm-hmm. in an interview or even get up and giving a speech or something because there's something just extremely genuine mm-hmm. and in, and intelligent and centered and interesting about her mm-hmm. as a person. And she's funny and it's natural. Right. It's not – you know, it's not forced. It's not a performance. And, and so um, – you know, it's it's whatever that thing is. You know, right. it's something about, um, you know, what I think it is. I think it's it's about somebody who has researched their own experience. Mm-hmm. That's what I think it is, mm-hmm. because they have somewhat of a dialogue of uh, that they're constantly some some process some evolutionary process where they're always trying to discover themselves, and so in so doing that you're just constantly sharing that as you're going through that process. Not not everybody wants to no. go through that process. So. Definitely, and I mean yeah. in a way that's to me at least that's when when you hear about people talking in spirituality or talking about enlightenment. To me, that's kind of what enlightenment is: is that process mm. of somebody's. You're not a god, you're not a saint, you're not whatever, you are awake. And mm-hmm. somebody else is going through life just rolling with emotion because they haven't done all that. They haven't right. kind of stared at themselves in the tough, ugly moments, in the good ones, done the homework to, oh, I'm here. And, you know, there's that <laughs> right. realization where it's almost hard to explain because it's, it's really just a matter of somebody moves by inertia through life mm-hmm. and then they're dead. And they have lived somebody else's life. You know, there was no them in that place. Right. And other people who turn the light on. And when they, every, as you say, every little thing, like you see them having the interview, like the Meryl Streep example, you're playing, mm-hmm. there's something there. There's a presence right. that you don't feel with somebody else. Yeah, I, I think that's actually really great, too, because I do think even though, you know, the Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle <laughs> was written many years later. Right. Um, there's something that, and, and, and my father might not have been quite as um, direct mm-hmm. about the concept of being present. I think that was very much a part of his philosophy mm-hmm. was being present, being in the, responding to the moment and all of that. And so um, I think that that comes across. Big time. I mean, that's yeah. really what you see when you see him is like comes through the screen. It's it's quite amazing. Yeah. Speaking of this thing about the the power of the individual in a way, which he emphasizes a lot yes, in a lot, a lot of ways. One of the um, things he's famous for within the martial arts is this idea of going against styles. You mm-hmm. know, there are some awesome writing, some of the articles he did for Black Belt that were brilliant on how he tears down the very concept of style, which is kind of weird because when you think about it you have uh, 
every martial artist on the planet by the time he came around um, they may all like churches like whatever they all had their little rival that is like karate is awesome kung fu sucks no you don't know what you're talking about kung fu is amazing is judo that's for stupid people it's like you know everybody still was do that by absolutely the way. <laughs> right <laughs> but even then was right I saw on Saturday afternoon <laughs> right Right. And the one thing that they would all have in common was the same mentality, which is there's one style that's the style. And mm. uh, is the, much like organized religion, sometimes disagree, not on the message that there's one right way, but on just who gets to claim to be the one kind of thing. Right. Your dad comes around and goes, he, he disagrees with all of them. He doesn't say, oh, one better. The very concept of style bugs him. Why is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, he he talked about it a lot. Um, I think uh, there were a lot of different reasons. First of all, it 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 keeps people separate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it keeps people at war with each other, really. You know, um, to say, you know, I have a style, you have a style, and to and to there be a dis for there to be a discussion that one could be better than the other, mm-hmm. and that they can't just both be something that each person is into right. <laughs> um, it is right in itself problematic. And mm-hmm. then where martial arts was concerned to say like, you know, then it's also culturally a divide. Well, there's there are Japanese martial arts, there are Chinese martial right. arts, there's Israeli martial arts, there's, you know, all different kinds, um, is to then say, well, you know, the Japanese way of doing this, the Chinese way of doing that, and it separates people. It keeps, and then also styles. You know, I mean, this was the whole thing with Jeet Kune Do, which is why Jeet Kune Do is such a huge, difficult thing for me, because as sort of this person who's taking on, you know, running the businesses and legacy, I never actually really know what to do with Jeet Kune Do because the whole point of it was that it wasn't. A style. He didn't right. want to say, "This is it. I'm wrapping it up in a little box and I'm giving it to you. And now follow this, and it's your ten easy steps to right. you know, whatever." So, <laughs> um, and that it, and that there is this very deep philosophical side of Jeet Kune Do, and it's supposed to be your own journey, and it's supposed you're supposed to, you know, as I as he said, research your own experience and all of that. And um, I think that um, you know that. We're now having this discussion about Jeet Kune Do all the time. Well, my Jeet Kune Do is the right one. No, Bruce would have done it this way. No, this is no. Uh, the original Jeet Kune Do, the concepts Jeet Kune Do, right. it's like, oh, my God, this is exactly, you know. The I mean, opposite of what yeah. he was going, right? Exactly. So, um, you know, I think that it's really hard, right, because the minute you utter anything out into the universe, it's graspable yeah. in a way, and people want to – take hold of it and um and then when you attach the name bruce lee to it which has you know star power and you know iconic nature and all that it becomes even harder but i think that the you know people want to associate with that and want to say i do bruce lee's or what have you but i think that just in general that that this is the problem this is one of the problems in the world today Mm -hmm. you know that people can't just have what they have in their lives and we can't all just appreciate it and, and agree to disagree and, right. and, and be on our own journey and that's that. You right. Know? No, absolutely. And so. yeah, I mean, that must be a trip because 
On one end, I mean, there's something to be said about the fact that, I mean, when you think about the philosophical premise, as you say, is as open as it gets, right? Is this notion that JKD is, in a way, a name for a process of personal research? And mm. I mean, I love the whole methodology, the way he set it up, the whole idea of uh, researching your own experience, absorbing what's useful, rejecting what's useless, and adding what's specifically your own. That's beautiful. I mean, right yeah. there, that's like that's how you should live life in every way whether it's martial arts whether it's about anything is you do your homework you look at what's out there you take stuff that seems to make sense you experiment with it you see mm -hmm. whether it works or not you leave some of the stuff that looks disturbing and and you um and the process of mixing from multiple is what makes you 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 know is what mm -hmm. makes uh, the particular alchemy you come up with of all the elements you mix and I mean, even the concept of uh, famous attached to JKD, the whole using no way as the way, which sound like, huh, what? Try again? <laughs> you know, what did it just say? You know, but yeah. this idea of not being stuck in one way of doing things, right. but having sort of this open-minded approach, which is constantly experimenting, constantly looking at what's out there. Well, is, and styles is the opposite are, of dogma, right? Yeah, and styles are limiting. Right. You know, the other part of that is having no limitation is mm -hmm. limitation and you know when my father created that little headstone that little grave on it that said in memory of a once fluid man crammed and distorted by the classical myths I mean you can't be fluid if right. you're locked in only one mindset mm -hmm. you, because you're not open to right. even if you believe your way is the right way you still have to be open to the discussion, right? You know, I might experience. be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a good ace in the hole. You know, for the last one, you know, <laughs> but so, it, it's better right. to be contradictory without being condescending. Yeah. You know, we can disagree, yes. but we don't have to be hateful about right. it. Right. I mean, in the martial arts world, I've had, I have known people to challenge each other to mm -hmm. death matches over. You're teaching it wrong, or yep, yep, you're, yep. I mean, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And so, my thing has always been to sort of hands off. Right. <laughs> but like... I struggle with it because everybody wants, and it and it's difficult, right? Because Jeet Kune Do, when it when you get to the philosophical side of it, it's very easy to see it to say. Well, that's it. It's just, it's not really, there's nothing actually physical right. about it. It's just a philosophy. But then there are all these <laughs> physical techniques. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know? Because that's what he was actually doing. That's they right. were. I mean, he may have changed them over time, but at, the reality is at the time he was liking certain moves, not others. He, he was, was researching his exactly. experience. Right. He was taking what he found useful. Right. And so... Is there something to teach? Is there something to say, well, this is what Bruce Lee found right. to work? Yes. But should it be like the be-all, end-all? Right. And should we be having death matches over, <laughs> over it? I don't think so. Right. <laughs> but it's a great way to leave your life. Yeah. Yeah. The sampler. Yeah. Let's try a little bit of everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, and also just to play devil's advocate, because that's exactly where I go, mm -hmm. right? That's precisely what Shannon wrote for me. That's why I wanted to talk to her about it. The, the book that I'll have coming out in March is exactly applying that idea to religions. Mm 
mm. which I'm sure is going to make me very popular in a lot of environments. <laughs> but, That's why we're recording know. this from Vermont. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in a secret location. You know, the whole idea of putting the individual in charge and taking ideas and mixing them to create what seems healthy to you, that's what life is, right? It's, it's your own journey. It's your own path. It's up to you to figure out whether something works for you or not. Mm-hmm. And not having that arrogance of wanting to impose your intuition on everyone else and all of that. But yeah, A, that's complicated because most people, again, I, I always go back to that. Most most people dig dogma. You know, dogma exists for a reason. It's reassuring. Warm, it makes blanket. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Precisely. It makes you feel safe. It makes you so. When you take that away from people and you say, well, you're on your own. You just have to figure things out. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. too much responsibility, yeah. too scary, too something people don't dig. There's safety in numbers. Absolutely. Totally. <laughs> That's what it gets worse. Yeah. Now there's 20,000 of us in the cycle. You 41 are causing trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that I always, and I'm sorry to interrupt no, you, no, but, no, but that's the thing that I always admire so much about my father is it takes courage to walk the path alone yeah. and to have belief in your own journey. There's a crazy, not totally viral internet video, but it was a guy at a concert. And he's over dancing wacky by himself. And they said, the real brave person is not the crazy guy. It's the first one to go over and join the crazy guy. <laughs> because once that person shows up, then there's four. Then there's eight. Right. And, but that one that'll go over with Mr. Crazy and join him, you know, that's the person that's brave as well. And very much the same thing. You, know, you pick your own right. route, and mm-hmm. then someone's crazy enough to jump in with you. Now you got a movement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just four of you. And it's tricky. In, about this, is tricky because how do you build that? You don't build an organization or you certainly don't build a church. You don't really build a style on a non-style or a non... You know, essentially, because this is a principle of constant research and ultimately what we were saying earlier of authenticity, of being honest to yourself, which means being able to change your mind, being yeah. able to say that something that was working great for you at some point not working anymore and then you need to switch things around that takes incredible speaking of diana inosanto lots of balls yeah <laughs> in terms of um just character just self-confidence because it takes a lot of self-confidence to be able to kind of venture out and constantly be willing not to question everyone else that's easy well no that's actually not even easy because many people will never question sources of authority but mm-hmm. it's very easy to quote question external authority it takes even more to question your own authority in that sense and question your conclusions and not get too comfortable where you start building your temple on top of i had this brilliant idea that one day and then you run with it for the rest of your life without ever challenging it you know Mm -hmm. and so that itself is probably back to the thing about why he was so damn authentic somebody who's willing to do that that's mm-hmm. authenticity right there is somebody who embrace yeah. it not just for the cool stuff even for the challenging elements of it all yeah definitely and having said that just to play devil's advocate about the style part that you were saying mm-hmm. is there is some there are certain conclusions that he did reach which more than likely over time he would have modified he would have added he would have gotten rid of stuff but at the end of the day, there were still principles that he identified within the martial arts, things that he did think were worthwhile and work, others that didn't. And one of the problems for people who are not him, who are trying to follow his lead, is that they become 
collectors, you know, rather than using synthesis as there's a bunch of stuff out there, I'll take a little from this, a little from that, and create something awesome, they'll take a little from this and a little from that and screw it up. <laughs> Not because the process is wrong, you know, the process sure. is right, but it's kind of like cooking, you know, is just because you mix ingredients doesn't mean you're going to come up with something good. You yeah. know, sometimes is you mix the wrong ones, you end up with Alfredo sauce or something. You know what I mean? It's like somebody, because to me, like challenging tradition and being willing to mix stuff, that's brilliant. But you mm. also need to know how to do it. And well, in a way, you sort of have to be an expert. Mm -hmm. So you, to take the cooking example, you already have to know a lot about cooking and ingredients and food and right. what works together to then be able to create something original, to be right. able to say, I'm going to take, you know, whatever and come up with something that tastes amazing, you already have to have some knowledge. Mm -hmm. You can't just come from a place of knowing nothing about martial arts and then, right. here we go. Okay. I'm going to make my own style. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah, like, good luck. Right. Yeah. So in a way, that's one of the challenging things about Jeet Kune Do, is that in order to really grasp what he was doing or where he was coming from, you have to have some knowledge about, sure. you know, about martial arts, about physical movement, about f physics even, mm -hmm. you know, and and uh, what works and what doesn't in order to be able to judge for yourself, well, does this work or does this right. not work, you know? Yeah, because, I mean, the danger, even people who kind of got it in that regard, it's too easy to want to... Experimentation is so much fun that you end up adding, 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 adding until you're carrying in your head and on your shoulder this humongous baggage of stuff, which at some point it stops being functional yes. because things ultimately, things that work need to be simple. Mm -hmm. um, it's a simplicity that's kind of refined. Like there's this Zen uh, idea about these three stages of learning yes. of, you know, your first stage, you are uh, ignorant, you're spontaneous, which is good. You are in touch with your instincts, but you are kind of ignorant. Mm -hmm. And then you learn and you are, oh, now you know better, but knowledge is heavy. You know, yeah. it's something you carry on your shoulder. And usually that's where people stop. There's yes. just the dichotomy between spontaneous or ignorant or nerdy and knowledgeable, but stuck in with this heavy burden inside your head. And the whole Zen Taoist idea is to move to a third level of where you go back to simplicity right. after you get rid of the excess baggage and you have absorbed the essence of that knowledge. Right. And that's exactly what where he was going with that. Because, I mean, the whole idea, like one of these most beautiful quotes, the... Um, the height of con of cultivation runs towards simplicity, mm -hmm. I think is brilliant. I mean, it's exactly in one it's sentence exactly. that three stages ideas. And and he used to talk about the three stages. And, mm -hmm. you know, in the first stage, a punch is just a punch. I don't know how to punch, so I just throw my fist out there. Right. And that, it's a punch. I'm punching. Right. The second stage is to then learn how mm -hmm. to punch, how to move my body in the right way to get the best leverage, how I should, whether a vertical fist or horizontal fist is better, what works... And then the third stage is I've cultivated now. I don't have to think about it. Right. I, and then a punch is just a punch again. But it's this much more highly cultivated, mm -hmm. simple thing. But you've gone through quite a process to get there. Yep. So. Yeah, and a lot of people, I think, get stuck at stage two because it's fun. It makes you feel I'm not ignorant. I'm just constantly adding, adding, adding. But again, it loses that spontaneous level the simplicity again the enriched simplicity to which you need yes. to go back to and it becomes um, too much like I don't know even in martial arts sometimes I 
work out with people who are amazing, but they have way too much stuff in their head. You know, yes. it's like there are these 335 things that I can do against <laughs> the left punch. And I'm just like, Jesus, man. It's like, how do you even go in your head? <laughs> right. To, you know, it's like, study 335 and then bring it back down to three you know yeah, right? yeah. Like keep it three exactly yeah, keep it simple don't at need the end to be going through a list while the no. next punch is coming your way yeah because it picked yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> like, huh i'm gonna use technique 47 and move no 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 i think i want to do page. So, exactly right so i mean that's that's part of the beauty and it is exactly the Taoist idea like in the Tao Te Ching, there's this concept of um you know students learn every day Taoists get rid of knowledge every day which mm. seems again paradoxical when you read it because like what how would you get rid of knowledge you know you work so hard to gain it you're not really getting rid of the essence of it you're getting rid of the baggage of it the yeah. the stuff that makes people look like most university professors or most experts in most field which is oh, yeah, i am an expert and i have all it's like these Better are niche this wide yeah and these are people who Clearly, their knowledge is not doing them a favor because they are carrying such heavy baggage that make them not be able to relate to mm. to anybody else who hasn't gone through that same process. Well, and people get really caught up in their own stories. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody has their story that they tell themselves about themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, the more that you sort of feed that and, and shape that and build that into this really grandiose thing, then, you know you lose a certain amount of connectivity with the world yep. once you've cluttered up that story and you've lose you've lost your ability to um to go against your own story yep. <laughs> which is part of the fun right to reinvent yourself yep you know absolutely I, I remember um i'm i'm divorced and um i remember the first christmas that i didn't spend with my daughter mm -hmm. and I started down this path of creating this story of like oh I'm alone on right. Christmas and I'm my daughter I'm I'm so sad and then I thought actually no I'm fine <laughs> <laughs> Do I <miss>? nice. <laughs> you know what I mean like I started right. to realize that this was a, I was creating this for myself right. I was creating this sad and not that it wasn't true not that sure, I didn't sure, wish sure, she sure. was there because certainly I did of but course. I was like that, I'm gonna, that wasn't going to change I'm going to see her tomorrow right and I get to wrap all the presents and do all this stuff without any interruption I'm having a glass <laughs> of wine I'm watching a movie nice. I mean, you know what I mean? like it's right. fine it's fine I'm not yeah. alone. I'm not lonely and sad and wallowing in right. my story about how terrible it is. Mm -hmm. You know. No, so. Yeah, that's brilliant <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of the same thing uh, where we started the whole, you know, your Bruce Lee's daughter, honor, trap. And it's like, at the end of the day, if you can figure out a way to focus on the good and get rid of all the baggage, that, that's perfect. Then yeah. you, have, you have succeeded right there. But, yeah, yeah I mean, the whole process to me of... Um, making things overly complicated which is the danger of people who like to experiment and i like to experiment so it, it's easy to go there uh, i look at that for me writing i see that in writing a lot i see people who um, have studied too much and then the way they write loses really the only people who will read it and understand it are the other 10 people in the world that you know have gone words. through that same path get and, some Hemingway out yeah and, and by that point it's kind of like just pick up the phone and talk to them because nobody wants to read that stuff yeah. you know what I mean it's like, it's, <laughs> I don't want to feel like I'm you know studying for my doctorate right. in order to read a book yeah. no and the, to me the whole process of 
gaining knowledge in a certain field or whatever field that may be, and then being able to translate in terms that my grandma could read and be like, I love that, I get it. It's like, that to me is writing, you know, is when yeah. you can com communicate complex ideas with style, with flavor, but it's a flavor that doesn't require expertise to appreciate. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel that way too. I feel like, I feel like um, whenever I'm puzzling with something or trying to express something um, and I'm not quite able to do it in a way that anybody would understand, mm -hmm. then I don't have it yet. That the minute that I can express it simply right. in a way that you would get and you would get and you would get and mm -hmm. my nine-year-old daughter would get, then I understand it. Until then, I'm not sure that I really do. Right. Absolutely. Because yeah. that's the point at the yeah. end of the day is to be able to share it with somebody else. Otherwise, you can tell yourself stories at night you don't yeah. need to write anything you know <laughs> exactly. like that's the whole point is to have that communication uh, uh, uh. <laughs> i have another favorite new hero my favorite new hero from last week was the woman in afghanistan who's running for president yep. mm. she clearly won't make it past christmas More. but did you see the little girl in pakistan so that that the taliban yanked her off the bus and shot her in the face because she was um, putting out messages they didn't agree with yeah, specifically that she was promoted uh, for Schools. little girls in Pakistan going yep. to school, being educated, right? And that was, yeah, that was... No, I mean, that's... What would Bruce Lee do about the Taliban? <laughs> Kick some ass! Thank you. <laughs> I can sleep well now. That's just, but isn't that just intolerable? Doesn't yeah, it seem like that's... that's our own planet? Right. Yeah, it's crazy. And that madness still goes on. Oh. You know me. No, but I mean, and that's exactly the whole point of like being able to leave people free to find out for themselves, yeah. to be individuals, to be, you know, there are people, plenty of people in the world for the matter. We're not going to be Taliban. We're not going to come to shoot you in the face over it, but they are still are going to have a hostility toward the concept. Certainly. The whole idea of uh, just, I want to learn stuff. I want to make up my own mind. Yeah, that's... That's yeah. crazy. I saw that same thing, and I saw exactly that. That's and I was my like, infuriation. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. really? No, yeah. I know. We've climbed. We've advanced a long way since we climbed out of the trees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Please continue with your conversation. <laughs> cool. So, um, one of the points that come out, it came out even in the I Am Bruce Lee documentary, but it typically comes up in conversation regarding the philosophical ideas that your dad was pushing. Uh, the notion of Bruce Lee as father of mixed martial arts, which mm. in the I Am Bruce Lee documentary, Jean LaBelle has a couple of things to say about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, man. But um, then, what do you think? Because, I mean, on one end, you certainly have the element of uh, um, the philosophy of mm. taking from multiple um, from multiple sources and creating your own thing, which is exactly what happened with MMA. I mean, one of the beautiful things that happened with MMA was all these fights between martial artists about my ways, the way somebody said, well, you know what, enough talk, let's put you guys in a nice cage and let's see who's right and who's wrong. Right. And part of what ended up happening is that some ideas were clearly sadly misguided, but then what ended up happening is that no single style came up on top and precisely right. what your dad had argued ended up happening, which is you borrow from multiple directions to create your own thing. Mm -hmm. Yet, clearly your dad was not, he was not thinking of martial arts in terms of sport. 
you know, he never right. created a combat sport per se. So how do you think it uh, stands the balance between, you know, his ideas, many people seeing a direct connection between his ideas and mixed martial arts versus, well, his ideas were not really designed for sport. Um, mm-hmm. What's your take on it? Well, um, I think um, there are a lot of different ways to look at it. And I think that there is um, definitely a correlation, as you said, between basically what happened in UFC, mm-hmm. which made it become MMA. Because in UFC's original incarnation, it was just, you know, what would a jiu-jitsu guy do against a, you right. know, Muay Thai guy, let's say. And um, and that was an interesting experiment. And then come to find that, well, you need a little, you need to be able to defend from a bunch of different types of attacks. Right. You know, you have to have a ground game, you have to have a stand-up game. And thus the birth of MMA. And, and I think there is a correlation to a lot of what my father was saying, which is, um, even though he wasn't doing it for sport, I think what he was saying is, you have to be a complete fighter from top to bottom. You have to be ready for whatever right. comes at you. And so in order to do that, you have to know how to defend an attack against a variety of situations. If somebody runs and tackles you, if somebody right. comes up from behind, or if somebody is a real stand-up martial artist, whatever, whatever it is, whatever situation. And he was very focused on street combat, I think, because he didn't want there to be any rules around it. Mm -hmm. He wanted the freedom of expression. He wanted to be able to say in any given situation, you know, what could, what can you do and what should you do? And how would I, what would be my response to that, I guess? And so, um, but then to say, you know, but MMA sort of stops in that second level, like we were talking Mm -hmm. about. It's sort of, you know, so everybody sees who the people who are successful, what they do. And they study jiu-jitsu, and they study Muay Thai, and they right. study... You know, there's a handful of six or seven arts that, that really, when you piece them together, work well. Right. And, um, and that's what they go to, and that's what they load up their arsenal with. Whereas my father took it to another place, which was lose all that. Right. You know, I'm not going to worry about, well, do I do a jiu-jitsu move now? Do I throw this kind of kick do I I'm just going to you know uh, respond in the moment with my combative expression Mm -hmm. to whatever comes at me and in a way and so that's why I always say when I'm asked about MMA and martial arts and and whether my father's the the father of mixed martial arts there's definitely a correlation um, like I said but Jeet Kune Do what he was really concentrated on the philosophy of what he was really saying it's actually in some ways the exact opposite (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) so Jeet Kune Do is not MMA do I see that um, there there is though some something there to it. Mm-hmm. I definitely do. Now, as to you know, people say, yeah, but you had you know, I was doing this before he was, or these people were doing that before he was. Whatever, yeah. I'm sure they were, and I'm sure other people were experimenting with things all around the planet at any given moment. Um, yeah, but that stuff but... is gets old really quick because it's like, who the <laughs> hell cares? You yeah. know, it's like right, that's but... the kind of thing that people will drink too much beer and sit around to, and then they'll go and be like, no, because you know, I <laughs> thought of internet way before internet. It's like, that's yeah, right, I you. invented was, the internet. Right. No, yeah. but um, well, you know, I invented TiVo. 
<laughs> I did. I really did. <laughs> because when I was seven, I remember my brother and I watching The Six Million Dollar Man and my mom um, calling us for dinner and I turning to him and saying, I just wish you could pause it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So everyone can again. everyone can thank me for innovation. that. <laughs> oh yeah. On, on that note, just to insult my father for a second, because things took a while to get to Italy. The transition. For, I remember as a kid when the first VCR showed up, and I was like all excited. And I told my dad, you know what? We should open up a store where we have a bunch of videos, and people can come and rent it. And he was like, How many people do you know who own a VCR? I'm like. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's never gonna be a market. That's never gonna work. That's a dumb idea. And I'm like, mother, Parker, you, know, yeah, like, exactly. you killed an awesome idea. But, yeah. On that note, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I get it. We should both be being paid royalties from yeah, TiVo and Blockbuster. Um, <laughs> you're never gonna raise the file of the MMA stuff because. Long and short, End of the Dragon starts with an armbar tap out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> that forever. Yeah, yeah. Well, and my point is, you know, people experiment with different things and do different things. I, I would argue that, you know, um, they still, as much as people are doing experimentation, they're still living in that second level. They're mm-hmm. not really making it a part of their lives and integrating it into right. who they were. And they're not putting the mes- message out there right. in the way, in the global way that mm-hmm. he was, the way he was in, in really feeding everything that he was doing with these messages. And so he did it on a very large, authentic, grand scale, and people see it mm-hmm. and they relate to it. I mean, nobody knew on a global level what Gene LaBelle or, or you know, what Kaji Kembo or whatever right. that is really was. And and though it existed, it was still a mixing of one or two things. It really wasn't a, a whole philosophical dynamic approach right. or way of life necessarily. So um, that people, you know, as we talked about before, felt sort of inspired by, right. you know. And, um, you know, so I just think that's the difference, not to take anything away no, from what those not. people were doing. But um, And by the way, I definitely don't want to take away from Jean LaBelle because yeah, he doesn't no. live that far from here. And <laughs> Even though now he's, I don't even want to know how old he is. I'm tapping out on Reddit, so I'm for sure, for so sure. sorry, so sorry. No <laughs> offense, man. Vermont <laughs> is very cold. This time. <laughs> Bell is the only man in the world that can. Uh, the story goes that his wife uh, had put some uh, red stuff washing with his gi, and so one day when he was supposed to go teach, he ended up with a fully pink gi. Jean Labelle being Jean Labelle, he went in and taught, and nobody would say a word. You know what I mean? <laughs> So he's the only man in the universe who can rock a pink gi that tells you something of how bad that man is. And had six of his yes. students show up in a pink one the next yeah, day. Exactly. It's like, well, if he that's does, it's that that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but that's, yeah, that's funny. But I mean, even the whole issue of originality is funny because, I mean, we live in a world, especially now, where we know so much about so many things. The whole notion of you come up with some idea that nobody has ever considered before, well, good luck with that. That, I mean, always is derivative in some way. But the genius is how you recreate it, how you adapt it to here and now. Something that, yeah, the idea may have existed, but how do you make it alive here? You know, is how do you take these different ingredients and mix them right here, right now? That to me is, that's in fact the whole debate of whether your dad's ideas were original who the hell cares it's not what it's about you know it's like they produced excellent results in a way that no one else was doing in that way at that time right and certainly 
you know, everything he was saying was not original. I mean, you know, there are ancient yeah, <laughs> writings from centuries ago that that spouted a lot of the of what he was talking about, but he combined it in a very unique and interesting mm-hmm. way and gave Absolutely. it expression. So, which is what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah. Speaking of ancient ideas, one thing that's interesting about him, because you know, many people see him as is the especially early on as the symbol of this uh, Chinese culture that he's bringing to. At the same time, you know, in some ways, he very much, like, some of his ideas are very, very similar and very much inspired by Taoism. Uh, uh, There's mm-hmm. a lot of Taoist thinking in uh, some, even the quotes, some of the things he uses are very much Taoist in nature. But Chinese culture is not all based on Taoism, certainly not the type that he was going for. And so he actually ran seemingly counter to a lot of Confucianism, which is, the other pole in Chinese culture, which is much more traditional, much more live by the rules, more of all of that stuff. And his ideas were extremely wild from a Confucian standpoint. I mean, Confucianism got to be so conservative that the whole idea was that the way of the ancestor is the good way. And so Mm. by definition, innovation is a bad thing because you are departing from the way things have done, which makes it, by the way, hilarious in Chinese culture, because for the longest time, anytime you have to introduce an innovation as people come up with new things, you could never say, I created this thing. You would say, you know what? I went to the mountains and I ran into this really old hermit who passed on to me this tradition that has been alive. For, so I'm really rediscovering some ancient thing. Right. He has, you know, the culturally approved way to make up stuff. Yeah. Make up something new, you know. And one thing that made, like, Eddie gone off to the mountains and said, I discovered this new way from an ancient Taoist, he would have been totally okay. Mm. But the fact that he was open about hey, this is me at uh, 20, whatever old he was, when he was still very young and coming up with this concept, was like, whoa, you as a 20-some-year-old guy dare to challenge the official style, tradition, all of that. That's like the most anti-Confucian culture thing there is. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how he, he's, you know, in some ways there's a lot of Chinese culture in who he was and what he did, and in some ways he ran very much against it at the same time. Yeah, there's a... Well, you know, I I do look at his life as... And and it's talked about in the documentary, too, but there's a lot of interplay between East and West. I mean, you could say that that going against tradition is a very Western thing to do. You know, it's sort of the, you know, know, standing up in the face of authority. Right. You know, um, all of that sort of stuff, anarchy, what have you. (laughs) But... um, um, And his life is very much that and I, I I you know he was very traditional in a lot of ways but he was extremely radical mm-hmm. too and so you know I mean as you mentioned in your book about um about um the dualistic nature of everything and and uh I think that's the case you know and I think that that um he was constantly you know researching that within himself as well and putting all those sorts of things to the test. It's interesting, you know. I I, I often wonder, you know, I think 
because I think, you know, he was a very traditional Chinese father. He was very strict and very, you know, da-da-da. And I think, like, my God, if if he had lived and raised me, I probably would have turned out to be a very different person. Of course. I, I don't know an exact, probably be a kick-ass martial artist, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably speak Chinese fluently, which right. I don't. But um, aside from those things, you know, it would have shaped my life in a very different way. And I wonder, as a parent how much he would have been able to apply his philosophies as well. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. that's definitely a challenge. You know, parenting yeah, is very challenging <laughs> in that way. Just because you're able to apply it in one field doesn't mean you're, yeah, of course. There's no question yeah. My father was the commander of 4,000 men and couldn't come home and handle the three of us. Right. It's, it's a whole different game. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's interesting, it's a, you know. It would have been an interesting thing to see that um, evolve. No, of course. No, of course. Right there. <laughs> but, I mean, that's one of the things that, that was um, so brilliant about him, the fact that, again, back to dualistic thinking, people think that if you are this radical guy who is going against tradition, it means that all you're going to do is spend all day going against tradition. And right. the that would be dualism. You know, there's tradition and there's going against tradition and being for innovation. The genius of him is that he was so confident to be able to take stuff from tradition and be okay yeah. with it. And yeah. doesn't mean that he's betraying the experimentation part. Is The talent is constantly combining things. And so that ability is quite unique you know it's definitely because it's easy you know when we fall into a new person as you say we create a story for ourselves we Mm -hmm. create a persona for ourselves then if you are the guy who questions tradition then i always have to live up to that you know (laughs) sometimes it's like no that stuff makes sense i like it you know i'll go with it (laughs) yeah and be able to do that as well yeah what yeah. did you think of the movie? Um, you, you opened talking about it. The I think it was 1993, four something, the Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Um, what was your feel about it? You know, I haven't seen it again in a really long time, but um, my feeling of it was that I thought it was, um, I thought it was a good movie. I thought it had a nice mm-hmm. spirit to it. Um, I thought that it didn't need... Um, to be, it, it was a little popcorny as a documentary goes. Sure. Kind of felt like a, a, a an action film mm-hmm. in a way, more than a documentary. The way they played with the the facts of his life. I mean, I know they always do oh, change right. things around, of course. But to throw in that whole, you know, this like demon chasing yep. him and that whole faux drama. Yeah, the faux right. drama exactly um, was. I, unnecessary, I thought. Right. And I, and I, in a way, I feel like, you know, there's plenty of really great material in his actual life story to make and sure. dramatize and yeah. still have it be action packed <laughs> since he was a martial artist and right. all that. But, um, um, that I felt like it, it, um, it strayed a little far in that, in that area. But I do think that the, that the, that the, there was a beauty to it and that there was a loveliness of, of that sort of captured the sort of, you know, dynamic quality of him. And, and, uh, and so I thought it was good in that regard. Cool. What did you think of it? No, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I like it a bunch. I thought it was really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, it did capture the intensity of it all. It did yeah. capture some of that. And I mean, even the, of course, I mean, it's Hollywood, so everything is, 
much, you know, there are 7 million more fights than there would have been in reality. There are a lot of stories that, of course, didn't work out exactly that way, but that's not the point. I mean, when you go watch a movies, you're watching a legend. You're not watching history in that mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. And so that's always a fine balance between how accurate you want to be when you represent something versus how much you are want to tell a cool tale. Mm-hmm. And clearly, the closer you are to the real history, the probably the more uncomfortable you are when it gets moved very f- far beyond that. Yeah. So that's always a delicate balance. Anytime you do something based on something that's real, yeah, it's there's going to be that tension where inevitably you're going to end up being a little too much one way or the other. Yeah. But, um, I mean, even the demon thing, I thought if you take it literally, yeah, it's whatever, it's uncalled for and weird. I thought... <laughs> I thought it was interesting in terms of um, if you take it purely from a metaphorical standpoint, not mm-hmm. something real or like the Lee family course or any of that stuff. If you take it metaphorically, the whole notion of the demon as something that uh, your weakness, your yeah. insecurity, not an external actual demon, but like your own crap that unless you deal with it, unless you deal with it as a parent, you mm-hmm. are going to pass it on to your kids. Mm. That seems very applicable, you know, because <laughs> it's like, <clears throat> that's what happens, you know, as parents is yeah. um, whatever within yourself you don't deal with, it will come out, it will come out with your kids. Yeah. And whether they realize it or not, you will pass pass it to them, uh, your insecurities, your fears, your, it may show up in your kids as a reaction against that, mm-hmm. but it still is part of that trap, you know, part of this old baggage that you have been handed out by your parents. So mm-hmm. if I forget about the, you know, flamboyant Hollywood demon hunting you, you have to kill him with nunchucks kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's whatever, but, but from, um, metaphorical standpoint Mm -hmm. i like the idea you Mm -hmm. know i like the concept of you as a human being have to fight first and foremost the biggest fight again in that movie are not all the random guys he fights is within yourself because that's what the demon is it's 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 inside of you it's not something else Mm -hmm. is what's inside of you and um, so in that sense, I was, I guess I found a way to, I think I liked the movie and I didn't want to get like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't like the demon stuff. <laughs> but, I mean, so I found a way to justify it where no, I, that's great. I dug that's it. Great. No, and I, I, I like your perspective on that definitely. And definitely, I mean, it's, it is always the inner demon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it felt a little bit like the expression, though, was quite literal in right. the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah. I'll go with yours. Okay. Good. <laughs> that way we can watch it and dig it more. There we go. Right. Yeah. Now I need to see it again. Yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as when you when you have kids, that's how it is. I mean, I've see, I see it even, not even when you have kids, even if you don't have kids, just when you talk to people and you hear about their life story, their parents, by what they do or they don't do, affect them a ton you know mm. there are people who are 50 60 70 years old and they are still carrying with them the way they were treated when they were four you know oh, what i mean sure. so it's like mm-hmm. that stuff is big and I, I mean i notice like when uh you know i may be having the best day where i'm thinking all this cool stuff i'm writing down something awesome i feel like ah oh, I am on, and then you know my daughter will spill milk, and I'm like, "Get them in why Yeah, really? That's what I want to put out there. I'm reacting this way to that. Yeah. It's like, and yeah. it's really a humbling because it makes you it realize is. that on a day-to-day basis there are 
plenty of moments where the ugly side of you come out in a way that you don't want it to come out with a kid, with a kid who rely on you so much. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. where it's like, you go back to the drawing board, <laughs> right. check yourself. And I know. I remember when my daughter was really little and she would something would happen and she'd start crying. And I used to always say, oh, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And after a while I was like, why not? <laughs> like, why? Go ahead. Go for it. Cry. Right. Go. You know, like, you're right. That was upsetting. I'm yeah. upset by it. You know, like, <laughs> you know, and I was, you know, so it's funny because you do find yourself as a parent, you know, going, oh, wait, why am I doing this? Right. <laughs> Where does this come from? Oh, no. <laughs> Once for fun, I had, um, there was a period when she was about maybe two years old or something where my daughter was really, really moody. And you know how they are, you know, mm. super happy, super mad and switch back and <laughs> forth. And she was having an awesome day. She was really nice. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get you back for all the crap you've given me the last few days. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I started whining just like she does and going like, ah, I am mad. I'm, I'm tired. I need to take a nap. And she just took a look at me. She grabbed me by the hand. She took me to the couch. She made me lie down. She started patting my hand. I was like, okay, that works. <laughs> like, in that case, thank you. That's yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Parenting is interesting that way. Definitely. It really is. It really is. Uh, yeah. Your daughter is nine now? Yeah, she'll be 10 in December. Wow, that's, that's yeah. awesome right there. Yeah, it's a great age. I mean, she's not a little, little kid anymore, right. but she's not a teenager yet. Yeah. So <laughs> mm, she's been I see a tension yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> she's been really um, in a sweet, lovely place. Right. I can hang out. We can hang out and nice. talk and, you know. Cool. So I have a few more years before travel <laughs> brews. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Even though, yeah, my, my my baby scares me because even now she, like some of the stories about her, like, let's see while I write them just for fun because they are too damn weird. It's like I take her to Trader Joe the other day and she's like, look at the cashier and straight in the eye, she just look at her and say, I don't like beer. I like wine. And I'm like, family, <laughs> <laughs> let's run before the police yeah, arrive. Before or, social services shows up. Or yeah, the police. I don't know. I think she watched Robin Hood too many times. So she got some ideas about authority. So she will run down the street screaming, we're running away from the police. And I'm like, mm, yes, that's always what you want to advertise to all the neighbors. Yeah, right. that's... Exactly. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, no. That's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, Shannon, thank you so much oh my gosh thank you it was awesome having you here thank you so much really for the fun. conversation it was nice just to have a conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. loved it and anything we'll put up on the episode notes so whatever website anything bruce lee's foundation anything else you want to put out there that will make sure to people who are interested will find um, the relevant links within the episode notes so Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you for having me here. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. You can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon.